If you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, verse 15. Uh, That will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue uh, to walk through the book of Acts together. Uh, If you were with us last week, you know that we're now at the point in Acts where Paul has come into Jerusalem or was on his way last week to Jerusalem, uh, knowing that God had expressly called him to go there, even though it meant he might be suffering. In fact, there were multiple people there we saw last week who, through the Holy Spirit, discerned that Paul was going to suffer in Jerusalem. And they, like so many of us today, were tempted to think, well, if he's going to suffer, then he shouldn't go. None of us goes looking for suffering, and if we know someone else is going to suffer, well, we don't want them to do that. And yet we find very much in the Word of God and in the will of God, As we've sang about this morning, blessed be His name, we've found that it is not just when things are going well that we bless Him. We're to bless Him when things aren't going well and we're to understand that He calls and ordains that we might suffer at times. And we see that suffering coming in Paul's life. And so, knowing that God had called him to go to Jerusalem, we now find him today arriving in Jerusalem, arriving there to give a great report of what God has been doing. But as he does, we will soon find Paul walking into that suffering that so many had warned him about. And as we look at this, I think there's something for us to learn and apply from it in our lives today. And so we're going to walk through this text today. Acts 21, verses 15 through 36. And because this is the Word of God, out of reverence for it, if you're able, if you would stand as I read it for us today. Reminding us that this is God's Word to His church today. This is His Word for how we are to live. This is His Word for how we are to go through our day-to-day life. And there's something for every believer here to learn from this text today. And I pray that we will. And so we pick up in verse 15 as Paul now is finding his way into Jerusalem. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went out with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may, have, they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. 
when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had seen him with Trophimus and the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And they were seeking to kill him. As they were seeking to kill him, word came from the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. Father God, we pray that you might teach us through this word today. It is your word spoken to us, so help us to respond to it in repentance and faith, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we've been walking through this book of Acts, hopefully you have recognized uh, some of the themes and some of the questions that we've continued to come to in our journey through this book. One of the questions that comes about throughout the book of Acts is the question of unity in the church. You see, the gospel starts to spread there at Pentecost among the Jewish people. We studied how at Pentecost, Jews came from all over the world there to Jerusalem, and it's at that very moment that God ordained the gospel to go out to them. And so you have this immediate growth among Jewish Christians in the church there in Jerusalem. But then we get to Acts chapter 10 and we see the gospel now not only going to the Jewish people, but to the Gentile people. And the problem was that was the disdain that the Jews had for the Gentiles and the great division that existed between them. And the question then for us is, how will these two groups of people get along? How will they find unity in the midst of this great history of division between the Jews and the Gentiles? And we see all this unfold as we continue in the gospel. And you have some people going to the Gentiles saying, well, if you want to become a Christian, you need to become a Jew first. You need to practice all these customs and follow all these laws. And then you can rightly come to Christ. And so a council convenes there in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council. And they decide, no, they don't need to become Jews to become Christians. But they do need to watch out for certain sins in their life. And we highlight those again today. And so then Paul one who had a great Jewish tradition and great Jewish heritage is commissioned to go out to the Gentiles with the gospel. And as we've seen in recent weeks, as we've gone through these chapters over the last few months, we've seen Paul going city to city to these Gentile people and sharing with them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's finally come back to Jerusalem. It's been some five years since he was last in Jerusalem. And during that time, as we see in today's text, there's some, some rumors, there's some whisperings about Paul. Perhaps Paul's not as Jewish as he once was. Perhaps Paul has spent too much time with these Gentile people. 
And as we walk through this text, we'll look and see how Paul responds to those rumors. But I want us to first consider this issue of unity in the church and what it is that would bring unity between the Jews and the Gentile Christians and what it is that needs to bring unity in our churches today. We'll start there with the first point in your notes. What we find in this text and what we find in God's Word is that it is the Gospel that brings unity to the church. It is the Gospel that brings us together. It is the Gospel that unites us despite our differences. And it is the Gospel that the church needs to be rooted in now more than ever. And we see this being celebrated in Acts chapter 21. Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he begins to give a report to James and all the elders there. These are the leaders in the Jerusalem church. These would have been primarily Jewish Christians. And Paul begins to tell them about all the great work that's being done among the Gentiles. And so you can think if you've been with us about some of the things that Paul might have shared. He probably spoke with them about his time in Ephesus. And if you remember that, there in Ephesus there was great idol worship. Uh, Many people in that city had their own collection and books of the magic arts and things that they would use, spells they would cast, ways they would seek to have God intervene in their lives, and they were worshiping false gods. And as the gospel went through Ephesus, there was that scene where they all began to bring their books of black magic and throw them into a fire. And we talked about how in today's economy that would have been worth millions of dollars and our need to leave behind things of our past. Paul would have shared this and many other stories. He would have gone on and on about all the great work that God had been doing among the Gentile people. And initially what we see here is a celebration around that work. As he shares with them this this word about what's taking place, the, the Jewish Christians, these leaders, they're celebrating. Why? Because it is the gospel that is moving forward. It's the gospel that unites them. But I think there's something else that Paul was sharing with these leaders in the Jerusalem church. Luke doesn't recount it here, but we read about it in other places in the New Testament, and specifically in Romans 15, that one of the reasons that Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem was because he was taking with him an offering. If you go back in Acts, you find Agabus. We read about Agabus last week. He's a prophet. And if you remember, the first time we saw Agabus in the book of Acts, he was telling the Christians that, listen, there's this great famine that's going to come. And so at that point, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned to go out, primarily to the Gentile churches, to take up this collection that they would then take back to Jerusalem. And so now we have Paul finally getting back to the church in Jerusalem. And what he writes about in Romans 15 is that one of the reasons he was so intent on getting to Jerusalem was to bring this offering to the church. Now think about that for a moment. Why would the Gentile Christians care about the Jewish Christians? The Jewish Christians had a great disdain for the Gentiles. There's great separation between the two. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as lesser people. So why would these Gentile believers give sacrificially to help out people that they would probably never meet? People they would probably never see. And then beyond that, why would Paul be so intent on getting that offering back to Jerusalem? If you remember in our text last week, Paul made the statement that he was willing and ready to be imprisoned, even to die in order to get to Jerusalem. Why did they want to get back there? Why did he want to get back there? Why the focus? It's because there was a a deep bond here between these Gentile and Jewish people because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
These were people that they might not never meet, but the gospel had so worked in their life, they so celebrated the gospel, they wanted to help out these folks who were their brothers and sisters in the faith, people they might never meet. What we see taking place here is what we commonly see today among believers from different backgrounds, from different nations. They are bound together by the gospel. And so for some of you, as you've gone to to other countries, as you've gone on mission trips, perhaps you've had this experience where you've met another believer from another nation. Maybe you don't speak the same language, but there's this immediate bond you have, not because of your common interests or backgrounds, but because you're bound in the gospel together. You're brothers and sisters in the faith. I had this experience recently as I went a couple weeks ago over to Poland. And there I've been several times. I've met a lot of the people, but as we were doing these discipleship trainings in the church I met a couple I'd not met before, and I found out they were pretty new to the church. They were actually not from Poland, they were from Ukraine. And if you've paid attention to the world events, you know that right now there's a battle raging at the border of Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, and neither side is willing to actually call it a war, but it's a war. And in order to get soldiers to go fight in this war, uh, the Ukrainian leaders are literally going apartment complex to apartment complex and they are forcing young men into military service, taking them to the border and then returning many of them home in body bags. No military honors, no thank you for your service, not even officially fighting a war. And so many of these military-aged men are terrified that this will be their fate. Well, this couple that I couldn't speak to, we had to have a translator. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't have any history with them. Immediately, we were bound in the gospel as they started to share their story with me through an interpreter. See, they were believers. They had become Christians at a young age. And as Christians, they were praying for God to deliver them from this danger. But then one day, the bus pulled up to their apartment complex. And armed soldiers came to their door. And they recounted how this young man was then taken down to the bus. And he was about to step on the bus, praying for another way for God to rescue him, for God to do something here. And as he was about to step on that bus, the soldier said, Stop. Our bus is full. We'll be back for you on the next bus. Well, as soon as those doors shut and that bus left, that couple fled the country. They were able to get over the border from Ukraine to Poland. They found refuge in this church in Gdansk and they were now settling in this city and they'd gotten jobs. Now if you look at my background and this young man's background, there's not a lot in common there. (laughs) I would imagine for most of us, we, we don't know what it is to have a bus pull up to our home and someone with a gun come and tell us it's time for you to go fight a war now, fight a battle, and for us to forcibly be taken. Our our backgrounds were different. Our nationalities were different. Our languages were different. And yet, immediately as we began to communicate through this interpreter, there was a common bond that we had. Why? Because we were both rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and honestly, I had a more genuine fellowship opportunity with this young man than I've had with many people in our own country because we share the common bond of the gospel. And so now I pray for him and he prays for me. See, that's what the gospel does. That the reason that we have so much division in our churches today is because we're not focused on the gospel in our churches today. That the reason that churches seem to split and divide and there seems to be so much division in the church 
So often is because we're not rooted in the gospel. The reason we don't have much to do with other churches at times is because we don't have this common bond of the gospel. And what the church of Jesus Christ needs today, now more than ever, is to return to the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be rooted in that gospel. To understand that gospel and to share that gospel with others. But there are many things that keep us from doing that. And one of them we see in this text today that I want to address. Point two, one of the things that we see brings division rather than unity is gossip. We see it here in this text. Gossip brings division to the church. Now, let's be clear what gossip is. Gossip is casual or unconstrained conversation that, or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed to be true. And so gossip usually happens when there's some bit of misinformation or there's a misunderstanding. And rather than seek to sort out the true information, we just kind of roll with it and we start to share that misinformation, that misunderstanding. And before you know it, we have gossip and slander. And the scripture refers to this as just a spark that, that lights a fire. And we see a great example of this in the life of Paul and in the church of Jerusalem. Paul comes and shares. Here's all the great things that God's doing among the Gentiles. Notice the response of the leaders of the church. Paul, that's all well and good. But we need to let you know there are thousands of Jewish people who have responded to the Gospel. Thousands of people who hold to the Jewish tradition and they have been told, Paul, that you no longer hold to those traditions. And so then these Jewish elders go on to share all these rumors about Paul. Paul, they've heard that you no longer follow the customs of Moses. Paul, they've heard that you encourage others not only to forsake our traditions, but to forsake Moses. And what they do is they tell Paul, here's all the things that they've heard. Now, Paul, you need to go fix it. What the leaders of the church should have said to Paul was, Paul, we've heard this gossip and we've heard these rumors and we put our foot down and clarified, that's not true. (laughs) If you want to know what Paul believes, go ask Paul. But rather than deal with them, they allowed this gossip to spread. And I believe what the church was experiencing in Acts 21 is what so often the church experiences today. It's much easier to spread gossip than it is to spread the gospel. And if we don't get our priorities in order, if we're not people of the Word, then we will find ourselves spreading gossip a lot more than we spread the gospel. And in fact, if we ask the lost and dying world around us what we're known more for, oftentimes it's the spread of gossip more than the gospel. And the danger of this is once it's spread, we can't get it back. We can't undo it. And so here, the leaders in the Jerusalem church not only have allowed this to spread, now then, rather than them dealing with it, they basically tell Paul, here's what you need to do. Uh, You need to take these four men with you. Now they're under a vow, and part of this vow is they need to now go to the temple to be cleansed. Part of that is they have to pay this offering for uh, this ritual that they're going through, through this vow, this vow offering. And Paul, while you're there, it probably wouldn't hurt for you to go through a cleansing ritual here. And if you'll just do that, if you'll just appease the people, if you'll help them to see, oh no, Paul's really Jewish, 
then everything's going to be okay. But what they fail to recognize is understood is that just a little bit of gossip goes a long way in bringing division. And now that this gossip is rooted in the church in Jerusalem and in the city of Jerusalem, it's going to take a lot more than Paul just going to a temple and saying, look, I'm still Jewish in order to deal with it. And as the story goes, you know, it doesn't end well with Paul. Church, it's a good reminder to us today that a little gossip goes a long way in destroying the unity of the church. And it can spread so fast. A couple hundred years ago, in order to get information around the world, it took weeks, at times months. Information traveled by horses and by ships. And, and it took weeks, even months, to get information around there. That's why if you read about some of the major battles in the history of our world, you'll find that between the time that battle took place and people actually learned about it, many times it was weeks, even months, before they knew what had happened. With the advance of technology... That's become quicker, and so you go to about 50 years ago, now you could get information around the world within a couple of days. Fast forward that to this morning. Many of you in your pocket, purse, you've got a little phone. You could right now type something in that phone and hit send, and that message could go literally to pretty much anywhere in the world. You take one piece of misinformation one slight misunderstanding, and without seeking clarity and truth, you decide to say something about it on social media, and you hit a button, and there goes the fire. And, and you can't get it back. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Acts, told a, a story that I think illustrates this about a, a woman in a far eastern land many years ago who had heard something about someone else in the village. And liking, she liked being a person in the know, so she quickly told several other people in the village this, this thing that she had heard about this other person in the village. And, and then many people heard it. Well, then she found out that what she had communicated wasn't true. It was wrong. In fact, it was the exact opposite of what had taken place. She felt terrible. All these people were believing a lie because she had spread the lie, and so she went to the village elder. And she said to him, well, what do I do? He said, well, here's what you do. I want you to go to the market tomorrow and I want you to buy a chicken. And I want you to have them kill the chicken in the market and then between the market and your home, I want you to pluck all the feathers off the chicken. Kind of odd advice. I mean, you come this week for counsel to me and I say, well, go buy a chicken and start plucking the feathers. You might be thinking, all right, Pastor Richard's had too much sun drop. And... But this woman thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And so she didn't know what else to do. So she went and bought her chicken. She plucked all those feathers off comes back to the village elder the next day and says, okay, I, I did it, now what do I do? He says, okay, today what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to pick up all those feathers. Well, as she started to, she quickly found out that was impossible. The wind had blown most of them away, and so as she looked and looked and spent all day searching, she managed to come up with three feathers. Came back to the vi village elder later that day and said, well, here, here's the feathers. And he said this to her. You see, it's easy to drop them, but it's impossible to pick them all back up. The point being that it's easy for us to go out there and spread what turns out to be a false rumor, a little bit of misinformation, a misunderstanding. It's impossible then to go and pick it all back up. A little gossip goes a long way in destroying then the unity of the church. 
But there's something for us to learn here about Paul because even though the misinformation and the rumors about him, you notice how he responds here. Paul doesn't go on the defensive. Paul doesn't go on the attack. In fact, it would almost seem that Paul has grown accustomed to gossip in the church. He's kind of gotten used to it. And you know, many of us have as well. It just seems to be part of it. And this side of eternity, it probably will always be part of it. Because not only do believers struggle with this, non-believers struggle with this greatly. And the dynamic of the church of Christ today is, is that everyone in this room, everyone in our churches is not truly born again. We know how to look religious enough. We know how to say the right things. We've learned to speak Christianese along the way. And dress ourselves up. When we know how to get to church, I was going to say on time, close to on time, sometime. <laughs> but sometimes there's not been a heart transformation. See, when there's a heart transformation, then one of the things we have to deal with is things like gossip and how we speak and what we say. First Peter 2, we read this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And notice that clause there. You're to put away all these things if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Well, what is that saying to us? It's saying that if you and I have really responded to the gospel, if we've truly come to understand that God is righteous and God is just and God is Creator, that we are accountable to this holy, righteous Creator God, that we have sinned, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we have disobeyed God, and as a result, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve separation from God. If we understand that Christ so we came and died in our place as a substitution, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, He died the death that you and I deserved, and in exchange He gave us a righteousness we did not deserve. And we come into that relationship through repentance, turning from our sin and placing our faith in Christ. If we've come to understand that, then according to the Scripture, we have tasted that the Lord is good. And once we've tasted that, once we've experienced that, then the Scripture says that should motivate us to change. See, many people think they need to change in order to become a Christian. But the Scripture says, no, it's the opposite of that. You can't change yourself enough to get God's attention. God's not up in heaven looking down at earth saying, you know, once Richard just gets a little bit better, then I'll do something in his life. You didn't marvel God at some point where He said, now I'm going to do something in your life. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners Christ died for us but once we respond in repentance and faith then change should come works do not produce our faith works should come from our faith and we see that here in these words we read in first Peter and one of the works that should come is we should put away all slander and gossip that as Christians, we should be the ones setting the course for, is that really needed? Is that necessary? Does that need to be shared? Does anybody have business knowing that? Do I even know if that's true or not? But so often the reason we share these things is because we want the attention. 
We want people to come to us. We want to be the people in the know. Maybe we've been hurt or we've been offended and that's our way of striking back. Whatever it is, we need to understand that gossip is anti-gospel. And we need to understand not only that we're not to spread it, but we need to understand how we'll respond to it once it is spread. And that's what I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at because we have before us quite an example of how Paul responds to it. And as we study this, we learn this, point three, that how we respond to gossip reveals whose glory we are living for. How we respond to gossip reveals whose glory we are living for. Notice how Paul responds to it. So again, the elders come to Paul and they say, now listen Paul, there's thousands of Jewish Christians now and they've all heard this about you. That they've heard that you don't follow the customs of Moses. They've heard that you tell people not to follow these traditions. Notice what Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't say, well let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> let me tell you about the vows that I've kept. Now let me tell you about the vow I was in where I went to the temple and shaved my head. And let me tell you how I've encouraged others to follow the customs of Moses and these traditions as well. In fact, based on Luke's account here, we don't see one instance of Paul standing up for himself and demanding his rights. So why do we so often do that? Why is it that we today are so quick to demand our rights, to defend ourselves when something is said about us? Well, I think it may be rooted in the fact that we are living for our glory and not for God's. And they're more concerned about our name than we are His name. I think what we see here is Paul sacrificing everything for the sake of the Gospel. You see, there's some who would say, well, Paul here forsakes the Gospel. He falls back against the Gospel by going and doing this whole ritual. But I don't think there's anything sinful about what Paul does here. I think what we see here is what we read in 1 Corinthians 9.22. Paul writes, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I think in the heart of Paul, what we see here is what we need to see in our heart today. That we're willing to sacrifice anything and everything so that others might come to know Christ. And I think what's going through Paul's head as well, I didn't do any of that, and I didn't say any of that, but if me going to the temple and me paying for this vow and me going through this ritual cleansing, if that just helps one person respond to the Gospel, then I'll do it. This is how much Paul cared about the gospel of Jesus and about the church of Christ. Ask yourself, how much do you care about it today? What are you willing to do for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to go without? What steps are you willing to take? And Paul here has already told us he's willing even to die for the sake of the gospel. Because Paul wasn't living for his name's sake. Paul was living for the glory of God. And fundamentally what we see in this text, what we hear in this text, is really a question coming back at us. Whose glory are we living for? Ask yourself that. Whose name are you living for today? When you get out of bed, when you get ready for the day, who are you living for? Are you living for parents, family? Are you living for a job? You live in to impress other people. You live in for whoever it might be. If I can just do this, if I can just make them happy, then that'll be a good day. What's the problem with that? You're going to fail. <laughs> I'm going to fail. 
We'll always fail to meet each other's expectations. You have failed me. And I've failed you. This is a failures club. We all fail. You're never going to meet a standard that you even put out there for yourself, much less a standard someone else puts out there for you. And so what's the point? Who are we to live for? Well, the Gospel calls out to us we're to live for the glory of another. And what we see here is Paul who's living for the glory of God. And that is the question for you and I today. Whose glory will we live for? As we get out of bed in the morning, who do we have in mind? Living for the glory of God or living for ourselves or others? If we're living for ourselves, then we will act very differently than Paul. We will defend our name. We will demand our rights. The only thing that enables us to do what Paul did here is to live for the glory of another. We'll speak more about Paul's arrest and what will happen from here in the coming weeks. But for now, I want to leave you with that question. Whose glory are you living for? Whose glory will you live for? A number of years ago, there was a football coach who later go on to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Though many people may not know his name today. His name was Lou Little. He's a coach back in the 1920s. And at the beginning of his career, before many people knew about him, before he was a Hall of Fame coach, he was coaching at Georgetown University. And during his time at Georgetown University, he had a pretty good ball team, but he had some folks on his team that weren't that great. And he would later recount the story of one young man who, who just barely made it on the team and certainly never played on the team, but he always caught the coach's eye. Because the coach would remark how he would see this young man walking around the university campus and he was always with his father, and he was always arm in arm with his dad. And that just kind of stood out to the coach. That was something different. And so it really saddened the coach one day when he learned that this young man's father had died suddenly of a heart attack. And so the young man went home for his father's funeral. A few days later, he, he came back to campus, and he came and met the coach there in his office. And the coach asked him how he was doing, and he shared with him. He said, Coach, I've just got one thing I want to ask you. Just in my dad's memory, just to honor my dad, would you put me in the game just this one time? Coach, without hesitation, said absolutely. And he told the kid, he said, listen, you're not going to play long. <laughs> we're, we're playing our biggest rival this week. But, but to honor your dad, I know you were close to your dad, I'm, I'm going to put you in the game just for a few plays this week. And so sure enough, the game came and the coach kept his promise and he put this young man in, except he, he never took him out of the game. Because this young man played outstanding. And in fact, the coach would later recount, Coach Little said, he, he played like an All-American. He played, he, he was the best player that day. He did everything I asked and went far and beyond, and he helped win the game for us. So later he went to this young man and he said, what, what was that? <laughs> where, where has that guy been this whole time? What, what in the world happened? The young man said, Coach, when you saw me walking with my father, I was always arm in arm with him because my father was blind. And today is the first time he got to see me play. If a young man would be that motivated to play good in a football game for an audience of one, his earthly father, how much more shall we be motivated to walk in faith with Christ for an audience of one, our heavenly father? Friends, whose glory will you live for? That's the question we have before us as we consider this text today. If you would stand together with me. Father God, I pray that we would be a people 
who would live for an audience of one for you. Lord, it is so easy for us to be divided as a church. It's so easy for us to fall prey to slander and rumors. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. This is an opportunity for us to step beyond that which is easy and step towards that which is the call of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that we would remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, he must die to himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so, Lord, I pray again, as we do so many Lord's Day, Lord says, Lord, that, that, that this would be a moment of clarity that we might consider whose glory will we live for? Who are we living for today? And Lord, if it's not for You, Lord, would You help us to repent and confess and turn from all idols and all other things in our life and place our faith fully in Christ and live for You. We will always let down those in this world and we will always be let down by those in this world. Lord, there is only one worth living our life for. But that that takes a work for You to do in our hearts. So Lord, would You do that work now through the power of Your Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.